Hello, everybody. This is CJ. Um, I just wanted to throw in a quick note uh, before we get into the episode improper um, that, I, first of all, thank you for your patience. Uh, this week has been busy for Jen and I, to say the very least. Um, I also wanted to note that uh, there was a uh, technical issue with uh, some of the tracks this week. Um, I did try my gosh darndest to adjust accordingly and fix it, and it actually cleared up a lot of the issue, but as a result, um, in parts of the track, there is something of like a, a clicking sound. Um, I tried all the uh, tools that I have to remove it, um, and I got some of it out, but not all of it out. So I apologize um, if the parts of the episode are not up to the usual standard of audio that we like to shoot for. Um, I do definitely hope that you give this episode a listen anyway, because our guest uh, did an amazing job, and they were just wonderful to talk to and have some really great uh, points to make. Uh, so definitely still give this a listen. Thank you very much, and uh, enjoy the episode. This show may contain strong language and sexual content. If you're a minor looking for information or help without all the grown-up stuff, visit our website at mygayagendapodcast.com for resources. This episode contains discussion of racism and systemic oppression. It also contains discussions about the LGBTQIA community, but you probably figured that out already. It's right in the title. Monday, we're super gay. Tuesday is also gay. Wednesday is still pretty gay. And Thursday, I have a night class. Friday, we continue to be gay. Saturday is the gayest day. Sunday, yeah, it's still gay, but we also record a podcast. Hello and welcome to My Gay Agenda, an investigative podcast where we interview the queer community and plan our world domination. My name is Jen. My name is CJ, and we are your co-conspirators in plotting whatever the heck it is cisgender straight people think it is we're doing. Now, CJ, what's on the by schedule for today? We are, we have overcome a myriad of technological obstacles to bring you Brianna today. Woo! So that's the schedule, and then we're going to play a game. So hello, Brianna. Hi! How are you doing today? I'm good. I have not been outside today. Oh, I don't blame you. It is rainy and miserable. Yeah, I I just decided to not go to a lot of things that I was supposed to go to, but I will go vote today later. Great. Good, good, good. <laughs> All right. Uh, so tell us about you. Um, I'm really bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> I am an artist and an educator. I'm from South Jersey. I'm vegan. Hey. I'm a double Virgo. A double Virgo? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Stop the podcast. What do you mean by a double Virgo? How can somebody be a double astrology sign? Both my sun and my rising are Virgo. Oh. Oh. So I really like lists. Somebody explained mine to me once, but I don't remember. So sorry, that person. <laughs> Your my my very like rudimentary understanding is that your rising is like how people perceive you. Ah. So for some people, like their rising sign seems more like their, um, like that horoscope may be more seem more applicable to their life. Um, but mine's okay. the same. <laughs> and I really like lists and organization and schedules. 
Does that have to do with being a Virgo? I don't know. Okay. (laughs) I just know that mine is that I'm stubborn like a bull. Get it? Because I'm a Taurus. (laughs) Everyone wants to say how stubborn I am. That's great. (laughs) I'm a Libra, so... It's not even a joke. I just cannot make decisions. (laughs) Anyway, welcome to My Gay Astrology. (laughs) You could have just said astrology. Yep. True. Cool. So um, can you guide us on your queer journey? Oh, my queer journey. Um, I think I think I've I was definitely like a a very queer child in retrospect. Um, Mm. Queer in like many senses, not just like I think. My, my, I think my gender is a, is pretty queer, um, and I think even as a kid I was, like, had this, I think, like, removing how other people see gender, like, oh, you wanted to play with boys' toys, you must have been queer, or whatever, like, I'm not gonna sure. dive into that, because that's fake. Um, <laughs> but I think even, like, my, like, sense of self as a child was still, um, very, like, non-binary, or, like, um... I don't like the word neutral either, but I just have these, like, flashbacks of, like, seeing myself as a child and not seeing myself as, like, particularly gendered one way or the Mm. other, um, and kind of just being like, I'm a being who, like, wears these clothes or acts a certain way, but, like, I'm just a being, um, I was, I was 19, um, and I was in a junior in college when I, like, realized that I was not straight. I really did not know before, which I think a lot of people, a lot of, like, cis straight people think it's fake they're like oh no you must have known um and I really yeah. didn't know until I was like 19 and I and I actually was like had a lot um uh, in the years preceding that I had a lot of um crises just many crises because <laughs> I like really yeah. felt like something was wrong with me and because and I was like why in, in a lot of different ways it was like why don't people like me why aren't these things working out why don't I feel the way that I feel like I'm supposed to feel um mm-hmm. And then when I was a junior in college, I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm not heterosexual, even though I've been, like, trying to make that work for a while. Um, Yeah, and I, I, like, went abroad that spring and frolicked with a bunch of beautiful black queer people. Um, When I was, I was, I studied abroad in Brazil, so I was, like, with Americans from my trip and also, like, with um, Brazilians who were there, and I was like, yeah, we can all just be free. <laughs> um, so, like, I came back to my, like, college campus for my senior year, and then I was, like, you know, not closeted, or, like, <laughs> I was being my true self. Um, yeah, that, uh, that's, like, a short, I don't know how, how much in detail you want me to go, that's, like, a short overview. <laughs> um, yeah, and then as, I, as much detail yeah. as you feel like provided. And I think after, after I, like, realized that I wasn't straight, um, I also was like, oh, wait, I'm not like, I don't care what men think anymore. I don't have to dress a certain way to impress men. Because I think that that was always, like, a concern of mine for, like, many years. Like, oh, well, I have to dress a certain way so that, like, guys will think that I'm cute. And once I was like, oh, wait, I'm not. I literally don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So then I was like, oh, well, if I'm not, like, trying to perform some level of femininity, then, like, what do I actually feel comfortable in? It's amazing how much of our true selves, like appear in our like presentation like once we actually figure it out like so much uh feels performative and then like once we actually like go in the direction that we want to be going in and like the direction of who we are then it reflects in like how we show ourselves and like how we feel showing ourselves Oh, is that a dog? Yeah, I was gonna ask if you can hear the dog whining. Yes. <laughs> oh, I heard the dog a little bit. <laughs> it sounds so sad. 
<laughs> hey, you guys will be up. Would you? Would Go sit. A bonus guest <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Did I answer your question? I can answer it more. If that's <laughs> no, no. You you answered it quite oh, well. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yay! <laughs> Mission accomplished. You did it. Yeah. Cool. So you are a uh, theater artist, uh, director, performer, and uh, you're also an educator. Uh, you want to talk a little bit more about like uh, what you do as an educator? Um, that's a good question. I'm like very. I mean, educate is <laughs> kind of the big one, but like specifically, like in particular fields or like a certain frequency i think i've kind of just like accepted it as a label and i think my like specific job title has fluctuated over the years um i lived in new york for two years and worked there for an i worked there for three years total um and one year i commuted from south jersey which i will never do again in new york yeah it was a lot (laughs) oh my gosh yeah it was too much more power (laughs) to you Um, oh, to put that in perspective for people who do not live in New Jersey, that is quite a distance to track. Yeah, it was about, I think it was like two and a half hours each way. Yeah. Oh, was, oh I don't boy. know how people do it like for real, like for their real life. I was like, I'm doing this for one school year and then I'm done. And there are people who were like, did, I do this forever. And I'm like, okay. Did you like drive into the city? No, I, I drove to the bus stop, the Greyhound bus stop, and then I took the okay. Greyhound, and then I would walk from uh, Port Authority to Columbus Circle. Good. At okay. least at least you were not driving over the, the bridge or through the tunnel, God no, forbid. That's too much. Yeah. That's too much. Um, yeah. Anyway, but while, while I was in New York, I had like several different jobs. <laughs> um, I taught at a middle school after school program for a year, focused on global leadership, and I, I taught a bunch of random things. I taught a class on, like, Brazil, so I, like, huh. taught the kids Portuguese, but I, then I also basically ended up teaching them, like, comparative race relations, because at some point I was All like, right. my goal is for them to just know that black people exist in Brazil, so I just was like, this is, we're gonna talk about the differences, <laughs> mm. and, like, the flag, the fact that, you know, there are black people here, and in the U.S., like, in the U.S., and, like, how, how it's different, and why it's different, and I had, like, a theater club, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but that was random, uh, but yeah, I, and I, I taught a high school girls leadership program for a year and then I went to grad school which I then dropped out of <laughs> and now I live in Philly and I lived in Austin between then so wow. it's hard for me to like name like this is the one specific thing that I do because I've been in yeah this this is the fourth state that I'm registered to vote in wow and it'll be the third state that I actually vote in because I didn't vote when I lived in New York it's bad. Um, <laughs> I've just been all over the place. Uh, but as an educator, yeah, I have. I've not. I've never been like a formal classroom teacher. I've taught like after school and like other out of school programs and workshops at conferences and stuff. But most of the stuff that I, everything I do is like in, integrating the arts, whether it's theater, writing, uh, visual art. Even though I'm not good at it, but I can facilitate other people doing it. <laughs> um, mm. But yeah, focusing on like leadership, social justice. Even though I, I don't like that term, but it's just the easiest thing to say. Uh, anti-oppression, whatever. But that's kind of um, what I'm passionate about. I'm actually teaching a workshop on the, this Saturday um, on like writing through trauma. So I'm, I'm excited Ooh. about that. Cool. Um, I mean, trauma's not cool. No, but it's it, not. <laughs> it, sounds like, it sounds like it will be a helpful and informative workshop. Yes, I hope so. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I had noticed on uh, perusing your website... Uh, that uh, you have also taught courses in subjects such as like challenging oppression and representation in the arts, uh, which are some pretty 
big subjects and a pill a lot of people don't like to swallow. I was interested in hearing about like how that was teaching on those topics and the reception to it. Yeah, the 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 arts and the representation. That was actually like a panel I put together for high school students. Um, I don't know if either of you know anything about Texas or live have lived there, been there. Uh, Texas is fascinating to me because they have this like in, in uh, university interscholastic league, which basically means that they have statewide competitive theater that people actually participate in. Because um, like they have that in New Jersey, oh, wow. but like. No one really does it. I did it, but, like, <laughs> uh, yeah. not that many schools were involved in the New Jersey Drama and Forensics League, but in Texas, it's, like, a thing. Um, so every year, like, they have students come to the camp, like, come to, the like, some of the main, like, UT, like, UT um, University of Texas campuses for this, like, huge theater conference. Anyways, so I, I organized a panel for one of them. Um, just, like, I, I got a bunch. It was mostly, um, I think, mostly queer people of color who were on the panel talking about their experiences that that one that was pretty well received i think the it was packed and i think the students were i think i think a lot of the times like high school students don't get the opportunity to hear people like explicitly talking about race because like in the classroom it's usually like these people are different or we talk about difference so we're not like talking like not like naming like what does it mean to be queer what does it mean to be like a black theater artist or whoever else was in that space I think we had some filmmakers so I think that that was well received by the students because I think that students need to hear that and I actually the year before that did a workshop on representation and um I think it was called like where my people at or something I don't remember <laughs> um and that one was actually really powerful because we had I had there was it was a small group of students and one of the students like cried during the session because this was like the first time that they had to like be able to like, share their experiences in their high school Oh, wow. um which were like really messed up <laughs> and so they finally like, had a space where it was like it was mostly it was a it, in terms of race I think it was mixed but there were a lot of like um like queer students who were in that group so everyone was like everything's a mess <laughs> um and I was like I, I that just like reinforced for me how important it is for to have spaces for young people and you know, really anyone but to be able to sit and have like actual like real open conversations about what they're experiencing because they um, like these kids didn't have like any space to at least be able to say like my theater program is oppressive um so mm. in terms of young people I think that that's been like really rewarding to be able to create that space for them because I know that I needed it <laughs> and that having that like them having that I think is really beneficial um and doing that work with adults has been interesting I haven't done it that much um at least in terms of like I've worked with like undergraduate students but um other students or not other adults who aren't undergrads um mm -hmm. has been interesting i had uh the, the the other workshop that you asked about was like in the context of my grad program i did it for my the rest of my my program was very tiny and i did a workshop for for my program like as one of our like weekly meetings um and my grad program was very challenging in terms of uh, I'm like, I'm trying to think of the most condensed way to say it. Just a, a lot of like white liberal women trying mm. to do good through theater. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about late, like in the last like, couple of days, just thinking a lot about how like white women, liberal white women manage to like weaponize theater in like the name of social change, but end up being like horrendously racist and and transphobic and like everything and while doing that and that was that's been my experience uh a lot in the last five to six years um mm. i think even in other spaces too where people are like oh theater is like liberal and we accept gay people but like it's still super like 
violent towards people of color, super violent towards black people, super violent towards anyone who's not binary, anyone who's not cis. Um, I'm, I went on a tangent, but... <laughs> no, I mean, uh, you, first of all, you're on a podcast, so tangents yes. are exactly our thing. You are in direct <laughs> medium to Perfect. do so. <laughs> but um, that's how that goes, I think, is that I, um, when I, when I was in graduate school, which is where I did a lot of the things that are, like, listed on my little CV or whatever, um, I was, like, doing my best to, uh, feel like to say the things that I felt needed to be said in the in that particular space um and I I can't speak to how successful that was I mean I'm I'm no longer there for a reason uh, part of it was like personal reasons like this isn't serving me and part of it was because I was like pushed out of my program uh, <laughs> hmm. by white people in my that were like in charge um so yeah I do things and I cannot speak to how effective they are <laughs> in terms of like actually institutionally changing things because in my experience, people with power have, will, even if they're claiming to like support social justice and want to end racism, they will still choose. They, like, specifically, I'm talking about <laughs> the people that I'm talking about are like cis, cisgender, straight white women, like liberal, progress, progressive white women um, will still choose to align with the systems of like institutional systems of oppression mm-hmm. that will, mm-hmm. you know, like surveil and limit people of color. Because that's what they they still want those systems to like uphold their purity in a way. Yeah, I I saw a lot of uh, things recently in terms of people saying like, um, for white women, when the option is presented to either like stand with people of color or continue uh, enjoying the uh, privileges and comforts that they receive as a white person, they will choose being white over um, like actually like challenging oppression and i see that a lot like in terms of theater in terms of politics and like how we vote and things like that like most white women voted for trump like choosing that choosing that comfort of whiteness over change yep and even (laughs) if it meant like oppressing them further as women yep 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 (laughs) I could go on forever. <laughs> yeah, well, I also wanted to a- uh, ask as well, because, like, you are absolutely correct that um, even, and sometimes especially in, like, white liberal spaces, there is a proclamation that work is being done without work actually being done. Um, so I wanted to hear about, like, uh, any challenges you see as a queer person of color that the white queer community still needs to address and work on? Um, that's like a like a forever question. Um, <laughs> never, uh, never absolutely, ends. you you do not have to provide all answers yeah, no, to everything I've, right have, now. But if there's like something particular, like you're like today, I'm thinking about this. Yeah, I mean, I I've been thinking a lot about. Um, I'm trying. I'm trying to be like concise <laughs> and intentional no about what I'm saying. Um, no, I've been thinking. I had an experience this weekend um, with a theater festival where I felt a lot of the things. Um, and again, like I'm, I'm not saying whether or not this was like um, queer people doing this. I, have, I honestly have no idea. Um, and but I feel like, yeah, I think that there's still there's still so many ways in which people. I think people don't like. I don't, I don't know at what point I became not... I, actually, I do know. I spent a lot of time on Tumblr when I was in college. <laughs> As we all <laughs> did. <laughs> and I think it, like, I 
I became, I think I, you know, I, like most people came, like, became politicized, like, in a very short period of time. Like, I was in high school, and I was like, I want to save the world, I want to join the Peace Corps, like, but I had no idea, like, I knew about volunteering, but I didn't have any, like, real understanding of what it meant to enact social change or even like what the systems were like I knew there was poverty and I knew that there was racism but I didn't necessarily understand how they operated as systems um Mm -hmm. so I started to understand that in college and then like very immediately it was like oh this is a big thing like we can't like liberal reform is not going to do anything um so I was like oh I guess I'm radical now (laughs) like (laughs) I guess (laughs) um but even like moving away from that as like a particular label just like I was like I see that there are systems and I see that we need to uproot them yeah it still like surprises me sometimes like how many people in my my I say circle but I really mean like my network on Facebook and stuff like how many people aren't there because I feel like a lot of the people that I was close to like in high school and college we all kind of like got on the same page we're like oh yeah like (laughs) you know, we acknowledge that voting is not going to save everything. It's like, it's harm reduction. We're going to do it because it's, it could get worse, but we're acknowledging that that's not like, this is not resistance. Um, and it still surprises mm-hmm. me like how many people are not there. <laughs> um, sometimes, um, even though they like claim, they, it's interesting because they kind of like co-op the language of like, they co-op certain language, but then like, like dilute it um in a very like liberal yes. sense anyway but I've been like thinking about that in the terms of in the context of theater because I was I'm just I'm just gonna talk I have this this thing where I feel like naming things is really important <laughs> um and like I, I feel like I've like lived with a lot of fear of, like oh don't name things or like they'll burn bridges blah 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 um but I think like naming things that have happened and like who said them and what organization they like I think that's really important to like, it doesn't serve anyone to be quiet about things, you know, usually. Um, Name away. Um, but yeah, so I, I was involved in, in a festival this weekend, the Bridge the, the bridge PHL Festival, and um, I didn't really know that much about it other than, you know, like, what the mission statement was, and, like, we had a talk back after our final show, and kind of, like, in that context it would i didn't realize like how many of the shows, and, and like, the goal of the, the festival is to, like, open dialogue about like connect communities and open dialogue about racism and intersectionality and stuff um Mm -hmm. i was surprised by like how many of the pieces about race were written by white people um (laughs) and like were not yeah like they just weren't like i mean i hadn't i hadn't seen all of them some of them i I, like i was like oh i thought this was written by a black person i'm realizing it was written by a white person it was like why like what possessed you to write this what possessed you to like produce this um like why did the why did this voice need to be heard um like, why is that where people are investing their energies? And then during the talk back, there was just a lot of uh, people, a lot of, like, white people, like, taking up space to talk about, to talk about, like, uh, to talk about their experiences, like, as a white educator working with black students or, or as a white child with black friends. Oh. And then at one point, there was just, like, a conversation with one of the people who founded it about, um, you know, she was, like, having a conversation, like, white people, we need to realize that we're white, we need to say that, and I was like, I'm just gonna leave, um, <laughs> because this is not yeah. for me, um, so I, that's why I, I think this is, that's why this is on my mind, because I've been reflecting a lot on, like, how, like, theater specifically is, you know, like, can be a really powerful tool for social change, for building community, for all these things, but in the, in the hands of people who aren't willing to, like, give up power, then it becomes weaponized, and that's how I've experienced in multiple contexts, like, now I'm experiencing it in Philadelphia, and I've experienced it in other spaces in Philadelphia, and I've experienced it, you know, at the university I was at in Austin, I've experienced it in New York, that, like, 
people who are like liberal, like claim, like claim to be liberal pro- progressive who claim to want to end racism, who claim to want to see the social change, don't want to give up power. Um, and they want to, they want to, they lift the voices of other people who are going to reaffirm their narratives. So instead of being like, oh, we're going to have a festival, we're going to literally hand the microphone to all these people of color. <laughs> um, or, yeah. or, you know, support people in co-creating work or like any, or, or, you know, any of that. It's like, um, we're going to, it's like whose voices are you choose, or not you, but like, you know, whose voices are, are people you. choosing to raise and what resources are being shared and what narratives are being prioritized. Because I feel like that's um, what I've seen like over and over and over again is that people don't want to give up their power and or, sh- or share power or um, or step aside or just like create space for other people to make things. And it's just re- it reinforces it's reinforcing systems of oppression. I feel like that's very frustrating <laughs> um and then it's one of those things where it's like it's it's do goody enough that to speak out about it or to say anything or to critique it um you know i have to consider well like what am i am i am i jeopardizing my role or status in the community especially as someone who's new here by like speaking out about this thing that i feel to be deeply problematic <laughs> um and reinforcing just like reinforcing really problematic narratives about how community how community building even happens um mm. because while there are people of color can be involved if we're still meeting on like terms of people who, with privilege. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Thank and you and that. That and all, seen. Like, that's what's that's what's been on my mind for the last like twenty four hours. So <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, I think that um, I see it in theater and on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, the blessing and curse. Uh, in this instance, a lot more of a curse where people feel that if they have an opinion, it has to be expressed. (laughs) It doesn't. You are, you are more than welcome to have as many opinions as you want about anything and everything, but vocalizing every single thought and opinion that you have doesn't necessarily serve people. Yeah, I, I was just talking to somebody recently about how theater can also very easily have this like element of patting itself on the back yep. where <laughs> anytime something's happening politically it's like now more than ever our work is so important so let's put on some mediocre shakespeare and we're gonna have a season <laughs> about we're gonna have a season about race but we're gonna keep giving the pieces to white directors or we're gonna have a season about queer people but we're gonna give it to a bunch of straight directors or have straight mm-hmm. actors playing like queer characters and it's like oh we're doing such important work and then meanwhile it's like well what about all of these queer actors what about all of these directors of color what about like all of these other people who have more of an insight into what you're trying to talk about <laughs> Yep, I definitely, oh. I definitely feel that. That, that. That's how I, that's how I was feeling this weekend, where it's like, oh, we, we opened a conversation, but this, like, the structure that created the conversation was still reinforcing a lot of inequities, so what's the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, so, moving on, uh, what is something that you would like to tell cis, uh, gender, heterosexual people for the last time, and then you never have to hear it ever again. I feel like I feel like the most one of the most like um, 
I, I don't actually know what the phrase is. I'm not going to say it. But one of, the, one of the, like, I think beliefs that people hold um, across even, fa- like, even facets of, like, the LGBT community um, that I feel like is important to address is that, like, trans women are women. And, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I say that not, you know, as, like, a, like, buzzword, like, oh, like, you know, I, but I think that, it, um, you know, even within, like, queer communities, you know, people are like, ah, yes, we can we accept that people are gay and lesbian and we kind of accept that people are bi. <laughs> but, you know, I think that sometimes I, I will encounter other LGBTQ people in my life who I'm like, you, I know that you are like deeply transphobic. Like I know that you haven't dealt with that part of yourself yet. And I think that a lot of people who consider themselves to be allies to the community, like haven't really sat with and dealt with how they've internalized gender and, how they police other people's gender based off of that internalization. And I think, and that's obviously very deeply violent. Um, and I think that people, it's easy to be like, well, I'm not, I'm not perpetuating like direct violence towards a group of people. So it's fine. But it's like, no, you're reinforcing like every time you say something that's trans misogynistic, whether you think it is or not, like that's reinforcing that. Um, so I feel like saying, saying to the cis and like cis gender heterosexual people but also like saying to our own community that um you know like gender is not based on your body parts that gender is not um i don't know like all i'm like i'm like i feel like i should have a list of like things that i need to say but like um you know trans women are women trans men are men transgender people exist non-binary transgender people exist and i feel like that's something that i really encourage everyone regardless of their identity to like sit with and make sure you're unpacking because yeah. Like, you have to sit with right. and unpack it. Like, I had to sit and unpack, like, oh, what am I saying? Like, every time that I'm, like, seeing someone and, like, reading their gender or, like, you know, I had, like, that's something that I had to, unturn, like, you know, unpack and um, sit with and, like, face. And I feel like people need to be willing to do that, especially if they're calling themselves allies so that they can do that work with other people because I've mm-hmm. had situations where, like, I've called that out or, like, brought that to people's attention. Like, hey, this thing's actually really deeply transphobic. I have, like, an example of... There was, like, some, you know those, like, charts where it's, like, this is the oppressed group, this is the dominant group, and it's, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, and, like, I've used that as, a like, a teaching tool, and I, like, went through each one, and I'm, like, this is wrong, like, this, you know, this thing is from, like, five years ago, this is messed up, and we're gonna talk about, like, what this actually is, and I had a professor mm-hmm. who used that, and I was, like, that's actually really, this is, like, transmisogynistic, like, that's wrong, like, you know, like, I forget what it said, like, whatever it said was, like, trans, it was, like, trans women said that they were, like, privilege because they were born mess something like bizarre oh, and like really messed up and God. I like and I brought it up to like you know like queer queer um professors <laughs> and they were really like upset they're like why oh, I built this with queer people but I'm like I'm just letting you know that this is like this is really messed up <laughs> yeah uh, the number one way to ad- agitate an ally is to correct them yep yep yep, yep. so I don't know that's I, I could go on but I feel like that's and I think that's also like like um as an educator, <laughs> I feel like I, like as part of my I hate the word pedagogy, but like part of my like teaching practice is like to make sure that I'm fully aware, like as aware as I can be, so I can like infiltrate other people's thinking at multiple levels. So like it's mm. not just about like calling out, um, you know, like murderers. Like if that that's not enough, like you have to call your friends, you have to call out your peers, you have to call out like you need to address things at multiple levels. So I think that that's. If I could say that once and everyone could hear me <laughs> as, as you know, to echo what people have been saying for years and years and years, <laughs> um, 
then I feel like that would make a huge difference in so many people's lives. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. So, Brianna, what is on your gay agenda? I would really love to have, like, a routine. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Relatable. <laughs> Jen and I were literally just talking about this, like, was it yesterday? The day before? It was yesterday. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, man. I feel that really, really deeply. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like, I feel like that. Um... I would really love to just, like, wake up and not be, like, panicking because I'm late or just because I have oh. eight bajillion things to do. Um, so that's on my agenda. Um, I'm slowly working at being self-employed. Uh, I should say gainfully self-employed. <laughs> um, but I think that that's, that's something that I've, after, like, working with a lot of different nonprofits and seeing how they're really messed up, um, being my own boss is really important to me um mm-hmm. just as i feel like you know that's not it's not for me anymore and i think i, I like threes so my my third thing would i think be to um make the make the world but also just like make spaces that i can impact like better for the babies because i feel like so much of a part of growing like so much of like getting older and like being your in your teens and your twenties and beyond is like having to recover from your childhood, which I think is really horrible. And so a lot of my like efforts as an educator, as people who are like around educators, because I was I was in a grad program for people who were educators. A lot of my work is like talking about trauma and like how to reduce like <laughs> like what can we do so we're not traumatizing people. Um Oof. And that's really, <laughs> that's something that I, I feel like if I can make those changes or like have people understand what it feels like to be like minor- minoritized <laughs> and marginalized mm-hmm. and like occupy multiple like oppressed positions in society to like, like the little, like just the, like small little things that you can do to like not traumatize children, um, I will feel successful. So that's, that's kind of my, my gay agenda, I think. Well, those are wonderful, and we have talked about a lot of heavy, important subjects, which is why I now turn it over to Jen to provide us with a lighthearted game. <laughs> yep, this is uh, going to be very light and very silly. Uh, so, you are the founder of something called the Starfruit Project, and in your bio it says you are passionate about mangoes. This is true, I am. <laughs> and we've we've ranked a lot of things by uh, gayness on this show, but I thought we should decide which fruit is the gayest. That's hard. All right. That's hard. <laughs> yeah, rank fruit by queerness. Not okay. all the fruit, because there's too many fruits in the world, but a like a good um, handful. So I want to start off with, I want to address the banana, because <laughs> it has been it has been posited, in fact, at our most recent live show, that banana is the gayest fruit. I reject that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how accurate that is. Discuss. Discuss. <laughs> um, I I feel like to uh, prioritize the banana as the gayest is to just rein- reinforce like a phallocentrism. Thank you. That I feel like yeah. is unnecessary. No one needs that. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. I will also posit, though, that the banana is a very misunderstood fruit because it's technically a berry, and nobody acknowledges that about it. That is true. Really? That is true. Oh, man. So I wouldn't say that banana's the straightest fruit. I will not condemn it so. No, definitely not. Um, but I do not believe that the banana is, in fact, the gayest fruit. 
I would say it's like somewhere in the middle on our queer fruit scale. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying. To, I'm like, what kind of fruits are straight? I was. I. I feel bad, but like, I feel like apples are pretty straight. I was oh, apples say. are very straight. <laughs> like, if the fall activity is you put on your fun fall colors and go apple picking. Apple is, in fact, the straightest. <laughs> also, like, not to bring Adam and Eve into this, but... <laughs> yeah, that was a whole thing. I wholeheartedly agree that apples are indeed the straightest fruit. All right, so I'm going to put that right at the bottom, then. Okay. Great. Are you writing this down? <laughs> this is important. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing down our ranked fruit scale. Excellent. Where do we see pineapple? Hmm. I would say pineapple's pretty gay. Yeah. It's it's certainly an eccentric fruit. I think it is it above is... banana, but not a lot above banana. I agree. Yeah. I mean, like, the fact that it's literally covered in spikes and armor certainly make it less straight in my eyes. Definitely. But that said, I would not consider it, like, the, the um, epitome of gay. You know what strikes me as potentially a pretty gay fruit? Mm -hmm. Maybe peaches? Explain. I don't know. It's just like a vibe. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like peaches would be kind of gay, but not necessarily like queer. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Peaches are the Neil Patrick Harris of fruit. Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, that's that's not fair to peaches, I think. (laughs) I I would concur. Peaches didn't do anything to deserve that. They're they're sweet little soft babies. I was a little too harsh on peaches back there. (laughs) What's the fruit that's... um, Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. Okay, so there's a there's a peach, there's a plum, there's a nectarine, which is like a cross between the two, right? And um, then there's also a pluot. Pluot? That's a. I that's have a not fruit, right? heard of this. Oh, I'm googling it. <laughs> oh my. Google.com. How do, do you even? I'm gonna. Oh, there guess it the is. A pluot. And is a cross between a apricot and a plum. They're also called uh, oh. plums or plumcots. A pluot. They're kind of beautiful. Like, damn, this fruit is beautiful. <laughs> no, it's an ugly fruit. There's an ugly fruit. What are you talking I, about? No, no I, I scroll. I scroll down, and it says ugly fruit with an eye. It's a Jamaican oh. form of a tangelo. Interesting. 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 <laughs> some okay. Wikipedia has also said that they are some kind, sometimes called plumcots. <laughs> that can't be true. <laughs> that you're. You're making that, and they're saying pluots, ap- apriums, apriplums. Like, what are we doing okay. here, Wikipedia? So, how about the peach to pluot spectrum uh, mm. lives somewhere around pineapple on the scale? Are we suggesting that there's not many fruit that is, in fact, like, overtly gay? Because I feel like we've gotten a lot of fruits that lean more on the banana side than the gay side and i'm wondering like are we stumbling upon the suggestion that fruit is not in fact fruity it's gotta be oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) okay like what is is there a gay well can we i i think i think a star fruit is pretty gay okay i can agree with that that. i don't remember what it looks like it It looks looks like like a a star star. (laughs) (laughs) okay i mean Um, All right, if, if we're if we're doing that, if we're coming for me, yes, it does indeed look like a uh, star update. Hot update, uh, it does in fact look like a star. 
No, that is pretty darn gay. Your creative collective may, in fact, been right on the nose there. <laughs> um. Okay, I'm also gonna say a guava is kind of gay. Oh, a guava. Uh-huh. That's pretty gay. I can. But I, only I the pink ones. The pink ones are gay. The white ones are not as gay. Pink guava. Looking at oh up. papaya. Oh. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, first I looked up pink guava. You're correct. Right now I feel like pink guava is the gayest. More than starfruit? Oh, no. Good point. Okay. Starfruit, gayest. Pink guava, slightly under that. I'd say papaya, slightly under there. Like third place situation? Yeah. Third place okay. papaya. <laughs> All right. <laughs> wait, I have, okay, I have, I have an important question. Okay. No, yeah. wait. Now I have two important questions. Um. Okay. This whole thing is an important question. Well, one of them was, hey, Google, when I search types of fruit, why does an olive show up? Huh. Yeah. Uh, second one, second question was, uh, where do we think mango places? Because I'm also oh, quite passionate yeah, about mango. I am interested. I think mango I am interested in your favorite fruit and where that goes. I don't think it's like the top because uh-huh. I, I don't feel like it necessarily like embodies gayness. Do you see it as more of a bottom? <laughs> I feel I well I feel, I feel like there are elements of like a star fruit or like a pineapple that like mirror the queer or gay experience, mm-hmm. like in and I of feel- itself. Like I would like personify it as like a little queer baby. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I like I look at a pineapple and I'm like big mood. I'm like this is me. Yes, I'm spiky on the outside, but in the inside I'm I'm kind of sweet. Kind of it depends. Yeah. <laughs> but I still will burn you. <laughs> I think like a mango is like a quiet gay. Like you don't assume that about them that you just don't know anything about this this fruit's private personal life and then one day it like casually like drops that it has a girlfriend and you're like oh that makes sense (laughs) oh yeah yeah all right so we've talked about a lot of fruits jen have have you in fact been writing this down Uh, yes i just need to figure out where mango places and then uh because i would i would love a rundown from straightest to gayest all right. If you don't mind, I'm just gonna make mango a little gayer than papaya. Really? I get I think it. Papaya is more gay. You know what? Mm. We're gonna tie them then. Okay. There we go. All right. I have. Maybe they're dating. I've. You said they're dating. <laughs> Dates are a different fruit. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Uh, I have. Okay, I have six places God damn here. It. I have six places here. So at the straightest, uh-huh. we have apples. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we jump straight to like middle gay with banana, mm-hmm. then pineapple, and then we had papaya and mango, and then pink mm-hmm. guava, and then at the gayest is starfruit. I like it. Solidly, solidly. All right, I think we've solved fruit once and for all. <laughs> solved it. <laughs> it's ours. Fruit salad it, is clear. It, you, if you eat fruit salad, guess what? You're gay. <laughs> so figure it out. All right. All right. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Do you have anything that you would like to plug? Sure. Yeah. I run the Starfruit Project, and I'm directing our first production called First. Firsts, I can enunciate. Um, and the show will be December 15th and 16th in Philadelphia. And you can find more information at our website, thestarfruitproject.com, or on Instagram, or on Twitter, or LinkedIn. Um, it's not on Pinterest, though I do have a Pinterest account. But the show is completely created and performed by a cast of queer and trans people of color. The crew is also 
all LGBTQ people of color. And the show focuses on milestones and like unpacking, reimagining, thinking about um, like traditional milestones and like what we choose to celebrate or what we see as a big deal in people's lives and what that means for for us um, hmm. as opposed to for the mainstream. Um, and we also have a fundraiser because we're raising money so we can pay our actors because um, that's important. Excellent. And that's also on our website. We're trying to, you know, be able to really invest in the community and support um, queer and trans people of color artists because that's really important. And Hell yeah. Now more than ever. Just kidding. I hate that phrase. <laughs> uh, but if you're going to use that phrase, then you can give us the money, you know. <laughs> There's an automatic charge for if you use that phrase, and it's to donate. Honestly, I should start charging people if they say that around me ever. <laughs> and that would be really lucrative in the Philly community. Mm-hmm. That'd be really lucrative. 20, mm-hmm. 20 bucks every time it comes out your mouth. Okay. <laughs> oh, so ins- you could retire today. Yeah, I don't doubt it. <laughs> yep. So instead of going cool. to see some mediocre Shakespeare, support the Starfruit Project. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. All right, uh, Jen? Uh, yeah, uh, as always, if uh, you think I'm kind of funny or whatever, come check out my jokes about depression and stuff on Twitter, at underscore glittergoblin underscore. And from there, I usually link to like my Instagram and stuff like that. Hooray. And as always, you can find this podcast on iTunes. If you are there, please rate and subscribe. Um, and you're also on Facebook at uh, My Gay Agenda, an investigative podcast on Twitter as Gay Agenda Cast, and on Patreon if you uh, have spare money to donate after you have bankrupted yourself by saying now more than ever. <laughs> Until next time, put this in your gay agenda. Fight the power. Love yourself. Go get some fruit salad. I'm like really craving fruit salad now. Oh, I'd be into that. And that's our gay agenda. That's our gay agenda. That's our gay agenda. We just want to exist.